0: Kathy, um, could you and Ernie stand up? Oh, there he is. I couldn't see. You. I just um, after Rick spoke that, um, I just heard the Lord declare he said that uh, he wanted Kathy to remember that all of his promises for her are good, and that he's faithful to complete every promise. I know sometimes, even in that story with Elijah, Elijah went to pray, and I don't think that Elijah really had any doubt that the rain was coming, um, but I wonder sometimes about his servant because Elijah sent him back seven times. And I know his servant had been around him and seen a bunch of crazy stuff happen, but I wonder if that fifth or sixth time, if his servant wasn't questioning, like, are you sure that I should go again? And it's almost like the Lord wanted me to tell you that, uh, that he honors and respects your faithfulness that even sometimes when Ernie's had some ideas and he's seen some vision of some things coming, and even though you haven't been able to physically see it, even like right now, that the Lord's not going to disappoint you. He told me that He wanted you to look again, that every promise that He had given you will be fulfilled. And I'm uh, really hesitant to say it, Um, but the Lord told me that even the promises of the next generation are going to be fulfilled for you. His timing is perfect. Every word that he speaks will accomplish the thing that it was sent forth to do. It will not come back null or void. And he told me to remind Kathy that his goodness will never leave you. I bless your faithfulness to walk. Even sometimes when you haven't seen and your faithfulness to even believe. Ernie sometimes even in some crazy ideas when you couldn't see how it was going to turn out. Wondering what the next step was going to be, even though you felt like you were stepping in sand that was kind of moving under your feet? God, I bless them with the next step. I bless them with clarity in where you're taking them. God, that you're not just going to be mysterious and lead them into some just random darkness, God. God, do you have a plan and a purpose? God, I pray for clarity. God, I pray for order of steps. God, that they would see the next step and then the next step and then the next step, God, and that they would see how things fall into place. God, that it wouldn't be a guessing game. I pray for solid and clear understanding for them, God. I bless them with that. And God, we bless their faithfulness and everything that they've done here. Everything that they've been and everything that they've entertained and everything that they've been a part of, God, their excellence and their faithfulness to operate in it. God, we bless them and we honor them for their service, God. We just pray that it would be returned to them, God. Everything that they've given, and it would be returned. Um, April... Um, even a couple weeks ago, the Lord told me He was restoring hope to you. Um, that uh, it's not going to look like anything that you're used to. Um, what I saw was um, what I saw was a contract of where everything was written out, something that you could go back to, that you could have security in. And I saw the contract almost being shredded. Um, well, I know that they're praying about some things, but I don't know the details. <laughs> um, sorry. The contract, got shredded. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> oh. well, I heard the Lord say that, um, um, Almost, almost exactly like with Kathy. Um, Is it security for you? Not that he's asking you to give up your place of of pursuing him or or hearing on your own, but it's almost like he wanted me to tell you that um, that he's speaking to Shane, that he's giving Shane clarity, and um, I heard him say that uh, that Shane loves you enough that he would never leave you into any kind of destruction. And it's not like he's asking you to give up your ability to make decisions or your ability to hear the Lord. But it's almost like he wanted to confirm in you that the amount of love that Jesus has for you, that he's duplicated that with Shane, that Shane carries the Lord's heart for you, that his heart for where y'all are going is the same as what the Lord wants. And it's not that the Lord's going to lead you into a place where there won't be success. There's going to be a ton of success around you. There's so much favor around y'all. It just follows you. It's like a cloud that just goes everywhere with you. And the Lord just wants to redefine success for you. There's so much compassion of the Lord around you right now. There's so many things that just even as you were growing up that you believed that you had to have in order for things to be safe and for things to be... Almost even as you got saved for things to be the Lord, it had to be like this. Like the, it, the, all these things had to fall in place. If it's going to be the Lord, all this has to happen. And it's almost like the Lord's redefining a lot of that. And he's pouring out so much compassion around you. That you're, you're like, that, that thing that drives you to, to have all these like X's and O's, all the check boxes checked. That it's almost going to be like the new checkbox is just going to be, you're going to look for the peace and the love of the Lord. And it's not going to matter if any of these things that physically that you've always looked for, whether they fall into place or not, that you're going to be so aware of the peace and the love of the Lord that you're going to be so drawn to it that that's the only thing that's going to matter to you. I just hear the Lord declaring, excellent wife. Excellent wife, that you've even stepped into things when you thought Shane was just absolutely insane. There's so much that the Lord's going to return to you. God, I bless them. I have no idea where they're going or what's going to end up happening, God, and I don't want to assume. But God, I bless them with where they're going. I bless every step that they take, God. God, I pray for there to be even more favor. Moses said, I don't want to go if your favor isn't going. And I, God, I pray for their favor, your favor to go before them. God, that when they step into it, it's almost like there's people that have been waiting on them to get there. God, I bless them with favor, God. God, I bless them with even more ability to hope for things that they have no idea that are out there. God, it's almost like shining a flashlight and just catching a little sparkle. God, that that sparkle would be enough for them to step. God, for April right now, I asked for the same encounter that Sarah had when you told her something that was almost too good to be true. God, you didn't deliver that by somebody else. You came and told her that in person. God, I pray for that same encounter and intimate moment for her. God, that you would deliver it the, the same way that you did for Sarah to let her know that she's important to you. God, that she's important enough for you to come. I pray for that for her, God. Not because she's going to need it so that she can believe God, but because I want her to know that you love her that much, God. That you're that good of a father for her. You'll come and walk through this step by step with her, God.
1: You. This is
2: the shirt. <laughs> <laughs> hallelujah. Did you say, Hallelujah. hallelujah. Um, Sorry, we got lots of uh things downloading. I someone sent me a text and the, the part that we get to walk with that person is whether what they're hearing is for the Lord. Uh for it is for the Lord. It's, it's for us as a body, maybe it's for leaders or for an individual person. And so today Jared and I were moderators and appreciate you all um listening to the Lord and participating with him. Amen. Amen. I said at the beginning that we we're gonna take a offering to bless the Wojakowskis today. Um, They didn't know this, uh, and they're here, and that's okay. Uh, The Wichkowskis are moving to Wilmington. Uh, They actually signed a lease last week. I guess they didn't think I'd believe them. They brought it to me and showed it to me. (laughs) Um, So I'll review this one so that we just, I want us to all be on the same page. Uh, The Wichkowskis came to us and said, hey, we feel like we're supposed to move to Wilmington. They went through a lot of prayer. Individually, they asked for the elders to stand with them. And when we uh, got to that place, uh, that we felt like that, it was the right time. And we actually got to go do some investigating with them personally, which was great. Uh, but the elders and the church invested in them. And we prayed for them one Sunday. And uh, we gave them a blessing from the church, from, the, from uh, our tithes and offerings. The worship team, as worship leaders, they got together and they, uh, they expressed their thanks to them and bless them um, for their care and for their leadership. And as we've been telling you, uh, we have opportunity today to sow into them. And some of you have already done that, and I know that you've given online or you've given in the given in the office. We'll add that to today. If you didn't bring your checkbook and say, hey, I want to do that, uh, Emily will take it for the next five days um, through next Sunday. Seven days, I guess, would be Sunday. So um, we have a party this afternoon, and we're going to pray for them at 5 o'clock. So I'm going to say this on behalf of everyone. We love you. And um, we're doing this today because we want you to be blessed. And we want to participate with what God's doing as ever. How hard it is for our heart or yours. <laughs> Just know that. Lord, we thank you that today we get to give in your name. Lord, I thank you that you say that there's needs in the house. And that you're the need meter and that you reside in the house. You live inside of us. You let, allow us to participate with you with what you're doing and so lord we thank you that today we have that opportunity amen amen Amen. the excuse me excuse me the party is at our house and my wife said please come and bless them with your presence and your food goods in your hands to share fair enough fair enough someone was going to clap because we want to say publicly we appreciate you Laura, Laura, are you going to give a testimony? No? No, someone told. I was told you were giving a testimony, for real. Yes, come here while we're. So, come on, Laura. Did you tell him you were going to testify about? I mean, I said I could. Oh. Oh, this.
3: Yes. Yes.
2: You know, I'll just say this, as Laura shares, uh, BJ and Tara, some counselors spoke to Tammy, and they said, um, they, they started making some comments about our kids in worship. So I'm going to say this to you all. I'm going to say it, Amy and the worship teams. I don't see Robbie here this morning, but, you know, our kids stepped into worship, and they stepped into worship. I said this at the beginning of the service. So, uh stepped into worship at camp on the first night, and there was a momentum created. and um, And they just thanked them and said, like, and so we extend that to you all, to all of you. If you're part of the worship teams, would you just stand up? Can we just express our thanks, these people? Come on. Yeah. The Lord told me this morning that, um, Laura, you're highlighted. And I came and shared that word with you. I didn't realize when I got back to my seat, Brandon said, hey, Laura's going to share a testimony
4: well, what is so confusing is he asked me just now if I would talk on a video at some point for a couple of minutes. And I'm like, I would hate to, but yes. And so then I just was surprised. Um, I just felt this morning to give the Lord praise. And um, a couple of months ago, I had a little episode with my heart and um, tore a, mu- a vessel in my heart. And we're not really sure why, but I ended up in the hospital. And while I was there, I had a little uh, heart attack. <laughs> and uh, it was so small. It didn't show up on the test except for one. But um, I just wanted to encourage you that um, during that episode, um, if you're going to have a heart attack, have it in the hospital. <laughs> and um, have your friend there come and pray in tongues out loud. And... And don't lose your sense of humor. And I just wanted to share and give praise to the Lord that um, I had such peace. I was never afraid. And um, and I didn't really ask the Lord, you know, to fill me with peace. He just did. So I just encourage you. I knew he was there. And um, I got some other really bad test results while I was there. <laughs> but everything came out right I mean good my heart's good I'm fine some other things are good too and um, I just wanted to say that it was a choice that I made uh, to choose joy uh, while I was waiting on those tests to see if I had some cancer in some places and it came back that I didn't and um, so I'm, I'm good and uh, Jesus is good God is good God is good
2: amen If you want some joy, you should hang around, hang around the Swifts.
1: You'll get yeah. Some joy. Yeah. I like that. That's good. That's good. You know, you heard me say before that, uh, you know, all of life can be described in tag team wrestling. Well, this morning we're going to tag team wrestling. Doug and I are going to tag team together. And, uh, you know, when you get to a certain point, you tag in and somebody comes in and takes it to another level. Um, what we're going to share today is going to be sort of, it's going to sound weird when Doug gets up here, but the Lord just told me about, uh, about greatness and it reminded me that about the word that we, God has given us, the vision in relationship to dwelling place, which you see it on the, above the door when you walk in, making the difference by embracing God's heart and pursuing his presence, making a difference. You know, Matthew 5:16 talks about how Jesus says, you are the light of the world, you are the saw." And he goes on and says, uh, you know, let your light be shown before men that they may see your good works and glorify God. Make a difference. You are. You are. All you have to do is, is walk in the, literally, the greatness of God. Because you think about this. How do you make a difference? Literally how you make a difference is what I want to call greatness. Uh, it's interesting to me, and uh, a couple of past scriptures just really have been on my heart. Uh, this past scripture in Luke chapter 1 verse 15 where it's the past scripture that where it's talking about John the Baptist and where it says for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and it hit me one day great now great now what is this great you know the great the Greek word is megas which literally means big and when you really deal with greatness what you're dealing with with something being so big, in relationship to the circumstance or situation that's in, you know, you know how it is. How, how sort of something you'll see greatness get on somebody. Like you'd be traveling through the airport. You know, I travel a lot and in airports a lot, and all of a sudden you'll you'll see somebody that's renowned, great, and it's just like this weird look over them. And it's kind of interesting to me that how. Um, how God has purposed that for each one of us. Because think about this. John was great in the sight of the Lord. But I want to remind you of another past scripture regarding John where it says, John, you know, up to John there was no one greater than him, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son so here's this thing that God has called us into this place of greatness to make a difference in the circumstances and situations of this world yesterday I was just kind of relaxing uh, Shay and and uh, Lila and the kids and her Lila's mother-in-law came up and was visiting us Friday night to yesterday and it's always oh it's just so awesome and uh, so after, after they left, I was just going to go, okay, I'm going to take a break. So I sit down and what, turned on the TV, and I, I turned on the movie 42. It's a movie about Jackie Robinson, the first black uh, baseball player to play with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And that movie was just permeated with what I call greatness. First off was uh, Branch Rickey who was the owner of the Brooklyn Dodgers at the time, just faced tremendous obstacles to go, hey, Jackie Robinson's a great baseball player, and I want him on my baseball team. But the other thing, I just want to say this, he was, a, he was an awesome man of God, too. But what he did was, there was an obstacle before him, and there was a situation that where it demanded greatness to make a difference. In other words, the greatness in Branch Rickey was greater than the obstacle of prejudice that was permeating America, America and also in literally baseball, which, you know, they were just pushing blacks out and not allowing them to, to compete in major league baseballs and relegated them to the Negro League. And so, you know, we're, you know, missed many great baseball players. But anyway, Branch Rickey took that step. But then, obviously, the greatness of Jackie Robinson, who faced tremendous prejudice. But the greatness of God in Jackie Robinson rose up. But it was interesting to me as the movie went on, because, I mean, man, what Jackie Robinson faced was just crazy. I mean, particularly one situation, there was a manager from the Philadelphia, I don't know what it was, Philadelphia, whatever, back then, I don't think it was the Phillies, but... Um, but anyway, when Jackie Robinson would get up to bat, he would step, the manager would step out of the dugout and just ridicule and call Jackie Robinson names and say all kind of crazy things about him. And he'd just face this tremendous. I mean, you could see Jackie Robinson just wrestling with wanting to go over there and bust the guy's head. And he knew he could not respond or else the guy really prejudiced would have won. It was interesting to me. So there's this situation where this manager is, you know, throughout the game, he, he's doing this until about the ninth inning. I, mean, I have I think about the fourth time that Jackie Robinson got up. Um, and one of the players uh, for the Dodgers walks across and gets in that guy's face and says, let me tell you something, you want to you fight somebody, you want to pick on somebody, pick on me. Because he can't fight you, I will. Shut up. And so, I mean, to me, that was a major obstacle. And the greatness in this man rose up and faced and made a difference. One of the, one of the other points times were so great to me, was where I saw greatness come in and make a difference, was when, um, when they traveled to Cincinnati. When they were at Cincinnati, it was, happened to be the hometown, well, really right outside of there, was the hometown of a guy named Pee Wee Reese. You know, maybe former baseball fans remember this guy, played second, second shortstop, Short, shortstop, because Jackie Robinson didn't play in second. So anyway, Pee Wee Reese, uh, who was a man of God also. And so as the game is starting and they're warming up, just all the, all the stands erupted in these crazy prejudiced. I mean, yelling, you know, all kind of vile terms to Jackie Robinson, which I don't even want to mention in this room. And uh, and Pee Wee Reese walks across the diamond and walks over and puts puts his arm on Jackie Robinson. He says, in the midst of all of this craziness, he says, I want to thank you. And Jackie Robinson's going, for what? He says, I want to thank you that I want to show my people in my hometown about what's right. And he just stood there just with his arm on it, and they carried on this conversation, and, and uh, just to being brothers together. And it just shut the whole crowd down. See, in the midst of a, you know, what, maybe 70,000 people, major obstacle, a prejudice rising up, a greatness in the man of God rises up and makes a difference, and makes a difference. Now, you know, Here's the reality, y'all. 1 first Corinthians, first, not 1 first Corinthians, First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 12 says this about us. It says this, and about our God and us. It says this, that he will make great and strengthen everyone. Think that. Make great and strengthen everyone. Now, there's a difference now between being great in the eyes of man and great in the eyes of God. Because that almost makes me sick to this day and time. And I'm a guy who loves sports,
3: but some probably sooner than any of us would have ever believed, um, we're going to need to do that. We're going to have to settle that today to be able to minister the way the Lord is calling us to minister down the road. Because if we can't do it now, we're not going to be able to do it when the heat gets turned up. Or it's going to be really hard to do it when the heat gets turned up, both individually and corporately as a church. And um, this is one of the things the Lord just began to stir up in me as um, even before we went out to California, but when we went out to Hollywood on our missions trip not too long ago, I met God was just really starting to show me some areas in my own heart that, um, that needed his touch that needed him to kind of come in and really do some work um, you know being in some some harder situations I've been back here for three years uh, we've you know we lived in Southern California for fifteen years um, before coming back here and you know but we weren't really like in the in the tough places in Southern California we were at the beach it's you know it's, it's nice to minister at the beach isn't it hallelujah but um you know, But being in, in downtown L.A. and being in East Hollywood and some places where there are some, you know, it's, it's, there's this hard place, it's hard atmosphere spiritually. And, and I, I began to see some stuff inside of me that I just kind of realized, um, you know, God was massaging more of this in me that we do need to operate out of love. We, we've got to be able to operate out of compassion when we minister, whether it's here in the body, especially when it's outside of the body, when we're ministering in the world. And, um, and I realized I was, I, a lot of my ministry was just ministering out how I was trained to minister. And it wasn't out of compassion. I wasn't seeing the person, I was seeing the problem. And I think a lot of times we approach people that way where we kind of go, well, here's your problem, let me help you fix your problem. But God calls us to minister to the person. And uh, I realized how churched I was. I realized how trained I had become in my thinking and responses. And uh, we, w- we were in the midst of where we were staying with this church, Hope International. It's had an amazing ministry to the homeless and the poor in their community there. Uh, they had also a halfway, kind of a halfway house where they were pulling these guys off of the streets and getting them cleaned up and, and trained up and getting ready to get back into life. And one of the guys there was a lawyer. When they found him, he was in the their parking lot with a heroin needle in his arm, you know, and uh, he was, he's the guy that's running the program now, got his law license back, he had lost his license to practice, and, and uh, just phenomenal testimonies, but some of them were still quite a bit rough around the edges, and I, and I found myself when I was hanging out with them, they're like cussing, they're sharing, you know, these some really out there spiritual beliefs that some of them still have, and and, uh, you know, they, they were just really rough. And it was, it, you know, they, they were smoking outside. And my religious mindset, you know, would go, well, you're just trading one addiction for another. You know, and I, and I wanted to minister to their problem, right? Here's your problem. Let me show you how to fix it. And, uh, and the Lord just pulled me aside and he just said, I'm not asking you to fix these people. I'm just asking you to love them. Can you do that? And i mean, oh boy, it was a good, you know, two by four moment. <laughs> it really was. And I just, I was like, I was in shock in this, for a second there, you know, Lord, I, I am loving them. I'm helping fix their problems, you know, and God's <laughs> it's like, not what I'm asking you to do. And, uh, and he began to unpack a little bit of this for me in, in relationship to ministering out of compassion. And and he showed me Jesus. And we, we we're awful fond of quoting John 5, 19. That's one of our favorite passages. That's an awesome passage, right? Jesus only did what he saw his father doing. But the other thing that Jesus operated out of was compassion. And compassion put him in a position to be able to do what he saw his father doing. And hear what his father was saying. And that's where I want to go this morning and, uh, and talk a little bit about that. I'll share a little bit of an example in relationship. i got a few of them for me and Monica this morning. She always gets on me because she says I'll, all I do is share her testimonies, right, like of stuff that God has delivered her from. And So I'm going to talk a little bit about me in relationship to, to our marriage this morning. But uh, whenever, <laughs> whenever we would have our disagreements and... Uh, and when you marry a New York Puerto Rican, you will have disagreements. No, 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 no.
4: Uh,
3: they're just very passionate people. Um, no, I, I will take most of the responsibility for, for the disagreements that we had. But what I, what, I, what I realized was, and it took me way too long to figure this out, was that we would have our disagreements and I'd come in and, and I'd apologize for what I did or said or whatever, however I caused it. I'll take full responsibility right here. However I caused the situation. And then I expected it just to be fixed. <laughs> yeah. Right back together. I said my thing. <laughs> right? I repented, I apologized. The next step is for you to forgive me and for us to go right back into being together. And it doesn't work that way, does it, ladies? (laughs) What I finally took me years and years to figure out was my wife wasn't just concerned about what I did. My wife was concerned about how I made her feel. And if I even recognize the fact that what I did or said made her feel that way. You get that? That was a big revelation for me. So my repentance added quite a few extra steps to it, right? Because I wasn't ministering in that situation out of compassion. I wasn't seeing my wife and how what I did or said, how it made her feel. I wasn't ministering to the person, I was ministering to the problem, right? And God wants us to minister out of compassion, so we minister to the person, not to the problem. There are a ton of scriptures that tell us how compassionate God is, you know, and I want to look at just four different words in relationship to things that kind of, we kind of put in the same category, right? Pity, sympathy, empathy, and compassion, right? Right? Let's just say a person has fallen into a hole and they can't get out. Pity walks by and it says, oh, man, it stinks to be in the hole. Glad I'm not in it. Poor you in the hole. Well, would you look at the time? If they weren't texting or walking, they probably wouldn't have fallen into the hole in the first place. Sympathy walks by and says, oh, man, you fell in the hole. That's terrible. I hate it when that happens. I have a few minutes. Why don't you tell me about how you fell in the hole? I'll be praying for you that you'll get out of it. Hey, if you're still in this hole tomorrow, I might be free and I might be able to help you out. Empathy walks by and it says, oh man, I fell in a hole once. It was awful. I never want to be in a hole again. Hey, I don't have a ladder with me right now, but I'll sit down. I'll keep you company for a little bit. Did you hurt yourself falling in the hole? I'm going to pray for you right now. Lord, send somebody with a ladder. Being in a hole stinks. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Heal him up in Jesus' name. But compassion walks by and it says, oh man, we've got to get you out of the hole. We've got to stop. I'm going to stop the next hundred people that walk by. I'm going to find a ladder, a rope, a plank, whatever it takes to get you out. Or I'm going to go get my own ladder. i got one at home. As soon as someone gets here, I'm going to crawl into a hole with you. I'm going to lay hands on you. I'm going to pray for you right now. Let's pray together. I'm going to walk with you from now on so that we can help each other avoid falling in holes. That's what compassion says. You see the difference? Empathy and compassion working together and welling up within us is what we want to shoot for, so we can be ready to respond with kingdom resources if the Lord asks us to. Now, God's not always asking you to, all right? I want to be clear. Not every dog you should go grab by the ears, all right? But if we are operating in compassion like Jesus, we'll be able to see opportunities where the Lord may ask us to get involved. If we don't have compassion, we won't see the need and if we don't see the need, we can't help. We have to learn the lesson of the good Samaritan. We have to have a whole we have a whole culture of people who have been beaten by robbers, that's the devil, left for dead spiritually on the side of the road. What are we going to do when we walk by? Are we going to feel compassion? Will we be willing to respond, even if it puts us out, even if it changes our plans, even if it costs us something? Oftentimes, God is in the interruptions. Are you willing to be interrupted? Have you given God to interrupt your busyness, your perfectly planned out day, with the homeless guy at the fast food joint, with the little old lady or the mom with four kids putting her groceries in the car, with the person who has a flat tire on the side of the road? Are you willing to be interrupted? How about this? Let's take it up a notch. Where in your life have you intentionally set aside time to minister those who are in desperate need of compassion? We have a lot of people here at DP who are making a difference in the lives of those who need our compassion. I'm just going to highlight a few. I know there's many, many more. But Laura Dean, Kathy, at the PRC, amazing work with people who need compassion. I love... all the stuff that Deanne and Jason have been doing to minister to those who are in need. we, We do it well as a community. I think, you know, I think we can always do more. I think individually we can always do more, right? But setting aside time intentionally to minister to those in need of compassion. The more I continue in ministry, the more I'm convinced that the Lord is really wanting one main thing out of me, and that is to love well. To be a person who loves well. Obviously, I need to grow in the area of loving the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I think we would all admit that needs work in our lives. But it's the next one I think we think we're pretty good at, but we need some real improvement. And the problem is we get stuck. We love us pretty good. I think we do. Mm -hmm. You know? (laughs) You know? Do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith. I think that's where it starts. It does. The problem is it doesn't get much past the back door sometimes. Really loving those on the outside. We've all heard it, but I wonder if it has really sunk in. People don't care what you know until what? They know that you care. Gone are the days, for the most part, that unsaved people are just going to walk into the church off the street. happens every now and again, right? And we're grateful for that. But we've got to be in the streets, in the neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, demonstrating that we care, demonstrating the love of God. This will happen when we collectively as a church and individually begin to look around us in our everyday circumstances and see people with eyes of compassion. When we look upon people suffering, it should stir deep inside of us to have a desire to alleviate that suffering. And I want to just mention four things that I think hinder or kill us operating out of compassion. Number one is selfishness. The opposite of love is not hate, it's selfishness. Selfishness will cause us to hate or push away, but selfishness will keep us from getting involved with somebody who is in need. It manifests itself in rigidity and flexibility and apathy. You simply look the other way like the priest and the Levite. Proverbs 18.1, he who separates himself seeks his own desire and quarrels against all sound wisdom. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Isn't it funny how we want people to be compassionate and merciful when we are hurting and we are in need, right? I mean, it's easy, right? You're just like, Pour it out, God. I need your mercy and compassion. You want it from everybody else, right? But when the tables are turned and somebody else is hurting and in need, sometimes it's hard for us to give that. Not because we wouldn't give it necessarily, but maybe we don't have time. Or, you know, it's an inconvenience, right? You get in somebody's mess, it can be messy. Blessed are the merciful for what? They shall receive mercy. It's not truly yours until you give it away. If God gives you resources to steward and we use them only for our own benefit, it ends there. They're gone. But if we give it away, he gives us more. He increases the measure. 1 John 4.12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. You ever wondered, it's going along right with what Rick was sharing, how love is perfected in you? It tells us right there. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. We can't just receive, receive, receive. We've got to give away, give away, give away. 1 John 3, 16 and 18. We know love by this, that he laid his, his life down for us. We ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. But whoever has the world's good and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him, little children, Let us not love with word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. Remember, Jesus says, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Who are the least of these? Anyone in need of compassion. Number two, exposing ourselves to extremes will hinder us operating in compassion. And it's going to sound weird, but just stay with me here. Specific, in this specific case, extremes I'm talking about are extreme ugliness and extreme beauty. When we do this, we get desensitized to the realities of the world around us. So let me explain what I mean by this. I recently learned this while teaching a bunch of teenagers. A few of them are really into, this is school, I'm a school teacher for those of you who don't know. A few of them are really into anything horror, Right? Mainly horror movies, but they also, like, take these trips down to scare winds during the Halloween season. And they're just fascinated by this idea of having the wits scared out of them, right? And they just digest this stuff. They are intentionally exposing themselves to horror, ugliness, fear, and they're being desensitized to it. On the other side, I have students who are the exact opposite. They're intentionally exposing themselves to extreme fantasy. Everything that they indulge in in a fantasy world where everything is perfect. Everyone lives happily ever after. Everyone looks perfect, acts perfect. There's no rejection, no tragedies, no heartaches. They too are being desensitized to reality. This is known as disassociation whether it's finding something uglier than your reality or finding something more beautiful than reality to focus on and lose yourself in, you use these things to escape your reality or the reality of the world. There was a time not too long ago that I personally dealt with this. We had been very wounded in ministry, and I retreated into a shell in an attempt to protect myself. I created another persona that I could pretend to be, so that it didn't have, to, didn't have to deal with the reality that was going on around me. But did it get rid of the reality around me? No, it actually made it worse. The reality is we cannot escape our reality. We still come back to earth at some point. We must deal with it. This is really part two of, of selfishness. The side effect is we're completely oblivious to the needs around us because we're even ignoring our own needs and our own reality. This is temp- temporary fleshly comfort and it only briefly sedates your soul. It desensitizes us, and it is deadly. We must be willing to confront the realities in our own lives and doing so be available to be used of God in the reality of other people's lives. In Romans 1, we see whenever God reveals himself, it requires a proper response, and when we don't respond properly, our heart becomes darkened or hardened or callous. When God reveals himself to us by bringing conviction and we use the extremes of the world to escape the reality of our sin and his conviction, our heart becomes hardened. We become desensitized. When God reveals himself to us in the form of a ministry opportunity, the opportunity to show compassion and we ignore it and are cons- so consumed with our own issues that we miss it, our heart becomes hardened and we become desensitized. The third thing that will prevent us from operating in compassion is what Jesus said when he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. These last two are, I think, were really hit home with most of us. This is basically becoming religiously prideful or judgmental. In our current culture, we have got to be careful of becoming individuals or even a church that falls into this trap. And I don't think we're in danger, really, in those areas. But we're going to be alongside people within the Christian community. This is going to really become a dividing line. How do we respond To what's going on in our culture. And I know when we compare ourselves to the Pharisees. And Westboro Baptist Church. We feel feel pretty good. Right? But remember we don't compare ourselves to others. Jesus is the standard to whom we measure ourselves. Do we see out there. Sinners on the other side. Or when we look out there. Do we see ourselves but for the grace, love and mercy of God. Is that how. What, what happens when we look out there, when we see the people in the world, right? I mean, let me just give you a litmus test. You Check yourself for your gut reaction here. How do you view gays and lesbians? Are they them on the other side? How do you view militant atheists? How do you view Satanists? How about child molesters? Liberal politicians? Or even other believers whose doctrine you disagree with. Do any of these people, do you see them as the enemy? That's a fair question, I think. I mean, I I know I struggled with this at times. The reality is they are not the enemy. We have one enemy, and it's the enemy of our souls. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but even if in some respect they are enemies of the cross, scriptures talk about, enemies of God, right, in a manner of speaking. What does the Lord tell us to do to our enemies? Love them. But it's easy to love those who are easy to love, right? It's hard to love those who are hard to love. What do you see when you look at people in the world? Do you see them as God sees them with eyes of compassion? or Do you see through religious eyes? Remember Jonah and Nineveh, right? He goes and preaches, and he's mad that God would save Nineveh, right? And then The bug destroys the vine that he's sitting under, and he's mad that the bug destroyed the vine, right? And God calls him out. And there's something in there that I don't know most people saw. One of my old pastors, Pastor Joe Green, shared this with me, and it's been a revelation ever since. God says, should I not have compassion on the people of Nineveh who do not know their right hand from their left? Sounds kind of weird. Until you figure out that the way they determined value in their culture at the time was counting on the knuckles of their fingers, starting with one hand and moving to the other. That's how they determined the value of things. It was kind of like the, what are those slidey things called? Yes, thank you. Uh, That's how they determined the value. So if they were in the market, they would say, this is this much, right? And people in the culture would know. But if you didn't know your right hand from your left, you would not know the value of anything. So when God was saying they don't know their right hand from their left, he says, they don't know their own value their own worth. Sometimes I think we Christians and the church in general have lost track of where we came from. You realize you were on the other side once? We were both, all of us, on the other side. We were filthy reprobates. We were worldly, fleshly sinners. We were rebellious, ungrateful, disobedient, disrespectful, wicked, and unrighteous at one point, right? As Paul says, such were some of you. And we didn't do anything to change ourselves except to accept his love, grace, and mercy. He sought us. He bought us. He is changing us. He has done it. He is doing it. It is not according to my righteousness, my works, or anything that I have earned. So why do we act as though we have some moral high ground at which we can look down our noses on those who are simply where we once were? I think every Christian at some point in time goes through the phase of being righteously indignant of all the things that go on in the world, the injustices, the persecution, the blasphemy. We just can't stay there. We can't live there. We can't operate out of it. He who is forgiven much loves much. We are called to operate out of love, not self-righteousness. I remember another example when Monica and I first, the Lord first put us together. She was a -a two-pack-a-day chain smoker. All right, one pack. Wait, I'm not on you. Come on, Monica. I'm not on you. I'm going to share how I was my response to Monica's habit. Okay. Right. So I brought Monica back here, running around with all my Christian friends. Right, and she's like, "I need a cigarette." Like, you can't do that here, honey. This is the Bible Belt. Right. Right? She's like, you either take me to the store to get a cigarette or you're going to be hurting. Right? Right? That's <laughs> part. Yeah. Right? So, but I'm, you know, I'm just like, gosh, God, she is cramping my style here. I'm trying to look good. And i got a Christian woman that smokes. <laughs> right? <laughs> So, me and my pharisaical attitude took another trip behind the woodshed with the Lord, and, and he was just like, I got this. You don't need to worry about this. She's in process, right? And she needed to get to the place where one day she was getting ready to light up, and the Lord just said to her, why do you run to that instead of me? That's all it took. She didn't need my preaching. She didn't need my condemnation. She did need my eyes of judgment, Right? <coughs>
0: You've gotten
2: all
3: those? Things. Oh yes, yeah. so it didn't work. <laughs> surprise, surprise, right? But we can be that way. When you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Oh. 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 <laughs> yep. Yeah. We have to operate out of love and compassion. Jesus was a friend of sinners, right? When I first got saved, I was, I was in a Christian band. We were hanging out in bars and clubs with a bunch of people who had no clue about Jesus, but they liked hanging around us. Why? I think we really loved well. And I had kind of lost track of that somewhere around along the way. When was the last time you got accused of being a glutton or a drunk or a drunkard simply because you were hanging out being salt and light with a bunch of sinners? Come on, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Then it happened as Jesus was reclining at a table in a house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, it's not those who are healthy need a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners." We overcome evil with what? Good. Light overcomes what? If you want to shut the gates of hell, what do you open? The gates of heaven. We've been having the wrong approach. The world needs our salt. They need our light. It does no good to be hid under a bushel every Sunday morning. What about Monday through Saturday? We've got to change the church culture before we can change the culture out there. I love this quote that I heard from Robert the Mearns a long time ago. He shared it uh, at one of our campus ministry meetings by a guy named George McLeod. It says, the cross must be raised again at the center of the marketplace as well as the steeple of the church. I am claiming that Jesus was not crucified in a cathedral between two candles, but on a cross between two thieves. On a town garbage heap, at a crossroads so cosmopolitan they had its title written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. At the kind of place where cynics talk smut, Thieves curse and soldiers gamble because that's where he died and that's what he died about. And that is where churchmen ought to be and what churchmen should be about. You know, we could attempt to win the culture war and not only lose the war, but lose those who are in the culture. That leads me to my last point. Jesus said, beware the leaven of Herod. This is allowing ourselves to become political or drawn into thinking that we can affect that kind of change that God is looking for through political means. Here's my disclaimer. We've been given a stewardship in this country in the form of our citizenship. We should vote. We should be involved politically. Some of us might even be called to run for office and have influence on that mountain. All good things, all things we should be doing as America. But the hope of God for this nation is not its elected officials. It's the church. The hope of God for this nation is not the changing of Governmental laws, it's the changing of a human heart and thus the changing of a culture. Wellington Boone, a pastor in Richmond, Virginia, and a Promise Keeper speaker said it this way, the civil rights movement of the 60s ultimately failed because we succeeded in changing laws, but we did not change hearts. The state of our union is more of a reflection of the state of the church than it is a reflection of the ills of our society. We cannot look to government to do what God has called the church to do. It's a violation of divine design. A political spirit will cause us to think us versus them. It comes right right alongside a religious spirit. It causes us to fight a war in the flesh that cannot be won, nor can it produce spiritual results. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Pray for our nation, for our officials, for them to enact righteous and just laws. But we need a great awakening in our community. Can I just say, let's all take a deep breath for a second. Because irregardless of what is happening to our culture, and we are headed down some slippery slopes, I want to assure you that we are still a blessed people here in this country. For everything that is changing, we are still in a relatively good place. We are really not being persecuted yet. We are getting some increase in mocking and scoffing. Are we beginning to have some of our rights taken away? Yes. Will it get worse? Yes. But we are not being asked to renounce our faith. We are not being beheaded or tortured. Our brothers and sisters in the Middle East are facing real persecution. We need a little perspective. If we can't operate in compassion now for those who are mildly annoying, how are we going to do when real persecution does start here? And it probably is coming here, unless we have a a, a revival that changes everything. It's interesting that Rick preached this last week, but Jeremiah 12:5. if you've run with the footmen and they've tired you out, how will you compete with horses? If you fall down in the land of peace, how will you do in the thicket of Jordan? We have to start responding in the opposite spirit if we want to see victories in the spirit. Bless those who curse you. Good overcomes evil. How about this out of Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 32 through 34? But remember the former days after being enlightened you endured a great conflict of suffering, partly being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly becoming shares with those who were persecuted. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted, listen to this, accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. How many think that they would do that joyfully? That were to happen these days. Knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Thank God for the example of the church in South Carolina, in Charleston, right? Their response to get up and say, we forgive him, that was so needed. The bottom line is that really, what's going on in our culture, the horse has left the barn a long time ago, culturally speaking. Everyone's up in arms about the redefinition of marriage, and they should be, but we lost that battle years ago when we allowed the culture to redefine love. Love is love, right? Love wins. Because the church and Christians in general were not defining love, i.e. demonstrating agape love in the marketplace, in the schools, in our neighborhoods, in relationship to those in the world, that's why we are where we are today. So we've got to change things. We've got to be able to see people not with religious or political eyes. We have to see them with eyes of compassion. Sodom and Gomorrah's sin, according to Ezekiel 16.49, was that they did not take care of the poor and the needy. That started the descent. Are we going to respond with greatness? Like Jackie Robinson, right? Wanted to go over and bust that guy's head. And stuff is going to happen to us as Christians, as a church, where we're going to want to get up and do something. I and mean, we may have to stand up. We may have to do that. If the Lord tells us to do that, that's what we'll do, right? But if we're not in a place of operating out of compassion, we're not going to be able to do what God is asking us to do. And I just want to finish with this one scripture, Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. Do justice, love mercy or kindness and walk humbly with your God. That's where we need to be. We've got to ask the Lord to change our eyes, that we see with eyes of compassion, that we respond out of compassion. If he's calling us to speak the truth, we're going to speak it. We're going to speak it in love, and we're going to speak it out of a place of compassion, to see somebody changed. Not because we're right, and they're wrong, and My rights are being infringed upon, and I've got to fight this thing. We've got to respond as the Lord would respond.
1: Amen. Yeah, I like that, Dougie. Thank you. Yeah. I can help think about two situations when Doug was sharing testimony about about the bars. I remember one night, we were all hanging together one night. I think we had a wedding rehearsal in a hotel, and there was a bar right next to it. So we said, well, let's just go in there and hang out. And just so happened they were having karaoke night. And uh, so we go in there, and we, we spread out in the bar and just divide it up, you know. So we get in there. And so one of the guys with us, is a guy; who, he was a black guy, could really sing. He could sing soul. So they, he goes up and he says, uh, you got Amazing Grace on your karaoke machine? And they go, yeah, yeah. So put it on, please. So he gets up there, and he starts singing amazing grace in this bar. You could feel the conviction of God coming over the place. And one of the guys over here on this side of the bar just starts weeping. He was a pastor's son. And he fell in conviction and turned his life back to the Lord. In a bar. Praise God, you know. That's a good place for an invitation. What did Joaquin say? You know, you got a need, I got Jesus, that works. But you know, I want to say this too, you know, wherever it is, and this last last week, um, there was a couple who just visited his church a few times who was having some really intense, hard uh, situations in their relationship. And uh, the wife was at a swimming outing. And so... Uh, A bunch of two ladies in our church happened to be with her. She steps out, and this is a paraphrase. uh, Excuse me if I get details mixed up. But she's just heartbroken. Because, all you've been married. You know that place. What did they do? Draw alongside her to minister love of Jesus. The husband of one of the other wives in DP gets on the phone with the husband and starts ministering Jesus into him and radically changed the effect in their relationship. You know, instead of them having to make a quote of freedom appointment, guess what? The, the, the swimming pool became their freedom appointment. Ministering in Jesus wherever it is, whatever the need may be. And I just want to declare, it's in this body. Allow the greatness of God to rise up. Rise up. we got a few words here. Brandon texted me um, that we want to pray for. In fact, I want to ask the... F- the first responders come up and the, free, and the healing team come up. Uh, we got some words about arthritis, col- colitis, 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 did I say that right? Colitis, bladder, and right knee. And so if any, we got these some words here. Anybody on that to come and, and pray? Daniel, Ben, come up, please. So uh, we're going to close up and close shop. Thanks for that word, Dougie. And uh, so we're going to have prayer fast. Is it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, 7 o'clock, right here, in this room. Of course, there are already prayer meetings uh, on Monday night with Terry and them, so we'll just jump in on them. And so, all right. I think,
2: too, just going back to what you said. No, I want you to say. You want me to say it Huh? I think people need to be mindful. Which one? You speak. I I just feel that uh, you know Rick gave us a challenge. I know it challenged me personally that the Lord has spoken things to us, and then they haven't happened. Maybe they've not happened in our time, and we've just uh, the word that I heard you saying was we just sat down. You know, we've walked away from from those things. I I'm going to highlight this today. There's about 14 people in the room that are wearing yellow, yellow a yellow shirt, in fact. <laughs> um, and, and Jared told me that yellow said spoke hope. And um, I, I, I just, I almost want those people to stand up and start praying for, for other people. I, I, I think that we, we hear things and we quickly turn to being the spectator when God wants us to be the participant. Good so I you know I, I think there's things stirring us. maybe you don't want to come out here if you're wearing a yellow shirt, just stand up right fast. Yellow jacket Corinne, Laura, Amy uh, So I'm, I, I just I'm encouraging you you're hearing things for yourself you're hearing things for other people, and you need to step out and say and, so I'm going to keep.
1: Ariel, this is Ariel. We love Ariel. She's an awesome woman of God, wild woman of God. So I'm going to ask Ariel to pray. This is what this is Ariel. What we were talking about? Doug was talking about this is Ariel. She was working as a secretary out in uh, Denver, um, in a church. So what she, you know what she would do on her lunch break with another lady? They'd go out on the streets and minister Jesus to the homeless. That's cool. So I just thought, I'd ask you to pray for us, okay. okay? You can preach too if you want.
5: I need I need some pizza. I'm like
1: starving. <laughs> <laughs> the word of the Lord is? Hey, take the big girl. <laughs> like I would,
5: but I need lunch. <laughs> yeah. Lord, we just love you so much, and we thank you for this word, God, and we just want it to penetrate our hearts so deeply, Lord. We want a heart. Um, it's just yours for other people, Lord. Um, despite what's going on in our culture and um, in this nation and in our world, Lord, we want to love you and to love others first, with a godly love, Lord. Not to um, live selfishly or live with um, judgmental eyes or anything like that, God. But to truly have a, have eyes to see people as you do, Lord. To receive the words that you have for them, God. To um, to walk out in faith, Lord, to really take the step that you call us to, um, just to be obedient people who love you, Lord, have your heart for others, God, and when you call us to um, really just have the, have the grace to step out and obey and not have fear, Lord, we speak against fear, we speak against fear um, of the things that are happening in our culture, too, and that, that we wouldn't hide um, or be ashamed of yeah. of what we stand for and what we believe, Lord. That but that we would be world changers and yeah. and the things that we know are true. God, we just want to um, permeate our culture, Lord, as you permeate our hearts yeah. and change us to become more and more like you, Lord. Help us yeah, to Lord. love you first and love people, God. Yeah, Jesus. We love you, In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 Love y'all. Bless. Uh,
1: Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. <laughs> Yeah, if you need prayer, come on up, y'all,
3: in any of these areas.